If you have your copy of scripture, if you'll turn to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. And as we close out our Advent series, uh, we've been talking about what does it mean to be people who are anchored in the first coming of Jesus. That is the foundation of our faith. But we're also living in anticipation and expectation of the second coming. And, and what does that mean? And how do we live that out? And what does it look like? What kind of people should we be? Well, we've talked about being people of hope, being people of peace, being people of joy. And we're going to round that out this week with being people of love. And like you heard on the intro there, um, in a world that loves everything that really doesn't love anything. I, I love that phrase. We, we kick the word love around all the time and we use it for all sorts of things, right? We say that we love our wife and we love our kids and we love sports and we love cars and we love this and we love that. Well, that can't all mean the same thing. And so God has given us a demonstration of what love really looks like. I'm thankful for that. God didn't leave it up to us to figure it out. God didn't say, okay, you guys just go and love how you want to love, love who you want to love. I'm going to demonstrate to you what love actually looks like. And so today, as we finish Advent and we think about what kind of people should we be, we should be people of love. And so let's listen to what, how the Holy Spirit through John defines love in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have, we have from him that the one who loves God should also love his brother also. I don't know about you, but God declares many times through this passage of scripture, this is love. In this is love. This is how we love. And like I've said before, and, and kind of what Advent really is about, we can never know love in our life horizontally out in our relationships and our community and all those kind of things until we know it vertically. Until we've experienced and know and believe the love that God has for us in Christ. And that becomes what we are filled with 
Until we have vertical love, we can't have horizontal love. But John starts with a very interesting place here. Listen to what he says. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now you may think, well, wait a second, that that may not be true. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. But here's what he says. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And here's what he says. If we want to be like God, we must love like him. If we want to be like God, we must love like him. Verse 7, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. See, here's the sad reality. A lot of people in our culture have taken that phrase, God is love. And they've ripped it out of the context of scripture and they just say, hey, if you just love people, you'll be like God. Well, we have to ask the question, what, lo- what, what is love then? What does that look like? And for many people, love is this. You do whatever you want to do. You do what makes you happy. I'm loving you by letting you do what you want to do. That's called license, not love. God's love is very different than that. God doesn't allow us to do what we want to do. God tells us this is right, this is wrong, this is what it means to be in relationship to me. And then even when we break that, even when we live apart from that, God demonstrates his love to us to say, I'm still here and I still love you and I'm still working for your good. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But to really be like him, we have to love like him. And only those who are born of God know how to love. Now, here's the thing. Every human on the face of the earth has capacity to love. And the reason they have capacity to love is because they've been made in the image of God and God is love. But here's the problem. We take that capacity to love and we turn it into evil. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, don't love like the pagans do because the pagans only love people like them. They only love people who do things for them. They only love people that they can get things from. Don't be that way. Be like your father in heaven who loves all. So yes, Because we are made in the image of God, everybody has the capacity to love, but only when you become born of God and know God do you really can experience true love the way God intended it to be. And here's where true love comes from. Jesus tells us the same thing. Where does true love come from? How do we demonstrate true love in our life? We love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and we love our neighbors as ourself. Do you see the connection? Where does it start? It starts here first. We love God with everything that we have. And when we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it can't help but show up out here. We start to love our neighbors as ourselves. So only those who are born of God know how to love. And here's the the phrase that we don't like because this really challenges us. Those who don't love don't know God. We make a lot of tests that we set out to tell people whether they're in the faith or not. And you notice all the tests have nothing to do with really what's going on in their heart. Are your skirts long enough? 
Is your hair short enough? Are you part of the right church? Have you said the right things? Have you done the right things? And yet God gives us a litmus test here to help us know whether we really are with him or not, whether we've really been born of him and we know him. And what's the test? Love. How you love others. And so here's the scary thing that he says. In the same way that as we love others, that gives us confidence that we are of him and are born of him. If we do not love others, we can have no confidence that we know him. If there has not been a transformation, this newness of life that comes inside of us, this love that comes in that we have between us and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that ends up showing itself in our life, no matter what we've said, no matter what church we've joined, no matter how much money we give, those who do not love do not know God. Now, I want to be careful and I don't want to say more than what the text says. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more later. But I want you to hear this. There's a huge difference between not loving perfectly and not loving at all. Did you catch that? There's a huge difference between not loving perfectly. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. I don't love perfectly. And you don't either. None of us love perfectly. But that's different than giving ourselves space and giving ourselves excuses to not love at all. I need you to catch that because this is important. If you don't catch that distinction, you're going to walk out of here thinking that you're condemned and you're far from God. When in reality, it may just be we need to correct how we love. We need a correction, not condemnation. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And so you may ask the question, well, listen, I, I want to make sure if this is my eternity at stake, my relationship with God at stake, what does that mean? What does it mean to love? Because I've experienced lots of different kinds of love. And I want to make sure that the love that I have is the love that God wants me to have. So how do I know? Well, God demonstrated love for us all to see and to imitate. God demonstrated love for us all to see and to imitate. Listen to what he says, verse nine. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that he might, we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Did you hear it? How has God demonstrated love to us? Well, he tells us two ways. One, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And that God demonstrated his love by sending his son so that we might live. By sending his son so he might die for us. God defines love by sending Jesus to be our propitiation. Now, you might have a different word in your translation. That's a big theological word, but it's a great word, and we need to keep it. Let me tell you what it means. A propitiation is a sin offering, but it's not just a sin offering. It's an offering that comes. It's innocent. It's perfect. It's blameless, and it's a substitute, and it takes the place of someone else. And in that, everything that's standing between them and God is taken away. 
When that propitiation comes and God accepts that as an offering, here's what happens. All of the anger, all the hatred, all the rebellion, all the sin, all the debt, all the fear, all the doubt is wiped away. It's sad. Many people are trying to take that word away. They want to change it to expiation. Expiation just means a covering of sin. That's what we got in the Old Testament with lambs and goats and bulls. It was a covering. Hebrews 10 says that that's not enough. Hebrews 10 said we need propitiation. Here's what happens when propitiation happens. Where there is this kind of offering, there's no longer any sin. So God defines love by sending Jesus to take away the thing that separates us from him. That's really what love is, isn't it? He takes away anger. He takes away sin. He takes away all these things. God defines love and wants us to understand that love thinks of the needs of others first. God had every right and every way to do what he wanted to do. And this is what he chose because it's the right way. It's the good way. It's the perfect way. And he says, here's how I'm going to define love. Love is thinking of others' needs first. Could God have brought justice to us? Could God have chosen to bring justice instead of love? Yeah, he could have. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to wipe out every person. I'm going to wipe out the earth. I'm going to wipe out everything because it's all been destroyed by sin. And here's the reality. He would still be loving. He would still be kind. He would still be good. He would still be just. He would still be holy. But he didn't. He defines love by thinking of other needs first. Here's what it says. By this, the love of God, verse 9, was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. God defines love as looking into our life and saying, what you need most is life. You are consumed with death. You are consumed with sin. You are consumed with rebellion. And I'm going to demonstrate my love by acting first and sending Jesus so that you might live. Love isn't based on merit. How much of the love in our life that we experience is based on merit? And let me explain what I mean that, by that. Do they deserve it? Have they done things that are worth me loving them for? Sounds good when you're the one thinking about that, but when you're the one that experiences that, that's a desperation place to be in. You ever had a parent, a spouse, a friend that you could never please? No matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried, no matter all the things that you gave and sacrificed, they were never loving they withheld their love from you. Here's what God says. I'm not that way. I'm not that way. Love means it's not based on merit. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Did you catch it? Here is love. 
We didn't love God. We've done nothing to earn God's love. We've done nothing to deserve God's love. And yet here it is. But God loves us. And God loves us enough to send Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is sacrificial. John says many times, both in 1 John and in the Gospel of John and in Revelation, that love is sacrificial. It costs you something. In fact, in chapter 3, he tells us, let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. How easy is it to say you love somebody? Doesn't cost you anything. And here's the ticker. You don't even have to mean it, do you? You can just say it. I love you. And we think, wow. But where does the rubber really meet the road? When it costs us something to show love to someone. And I think what we forget at Christmas, we, we, we kind of think about this at Easter, but we don't think about it as at Christmas, is that love cost God something. Actually, it cost him everything. God was not willing to let us die, and so he was willing to sacrifice everything. Romans 8 tells us that the God who did not spare anything, not even his only son, how will he not give you all things? Every time we look at this manger, we need to remember that love is sacrificial. Cost God and Jesus to save us. Love is redemptive. Love is redemptive because it causes a radical transformation in our life. It's redemptive because Jesus jumps into where we're drowning in sin and our sin is over our head. He jumps into that and he picks us up out of it. He pays our debt. He declares us innocent. He takes our penalty. We are set free. And he gives us new life. We become a completely new person. But not only does God define love, God fills us with his love. God fills us with his love so that it will flow out of us to others. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And I love this in verse 11. You can almost hear John's awe. Listen to what he says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you hear it? I am so blown away by the depth and the power and the goodness of God's love that he has for me, how can I withhold that from somebody else? So he doesn't just define love for us, he fills us with his love. He fills us with his love by giving us the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Here's the simple truth that, God, that John through the Holy Spirit is trying to help us understand. God fills us with his love because he fills us with himself. I don't want to let you give yourself the excuse that we give ourselves sometime. I'm just not a loving person. That's just out of my comfort zone. You're right. That is out of your comfort zone if you're your old person. But now that you're this new person created in Christ Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit of new life, you are filled with God and God is love. God abides in us. It's almost as if John is saying like this, God abides in us, how can we not love? It's almost the opposite. It's antithetical to everything that we believe. If God is in us, love has to be there too and it has to show up in our life. But look at what he says in verse 12. This is why it's important. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Did you catch it? No one has seen God. How are they going to see God? People always say, well, if God would just do this, if he would just, you know, show up on the 50-yard line of the Super Bowl, I'd believe. If God would just sky ride it in the sky, I would believe. If God would just do this. And God has chosen something much more difficult than all those easy things. You know what he's chosen? God has chosen to write his name in this world through us. God has chosen something much more difficult. And here's what he says. I'm going to show up in the world by showing up in you and living through you and that you love other people. And when you love other people, the world will say, wow, there's a God. They will see God in us. We ask all the time, why doesn't the world believe it's not because there's not enough information. Got plenty of information. It's not because we don't have enough preaching. We have enough preaching. Why doesn't the world believe? Maybe it's because the world isn't seeing God. And if the world isn't seeing God, it's because we aren't showing God. See, we have forgotten that we are called to be people of love, anchored in the first coming, looking for the second coming, to be like Jesus. And God has done everything that needs to be done. He has filled us with himself. He has filled us with love. And now he sets us free to go. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time if we love one another. And let me tell you, I know what you're thinking because I thought it too. It can't be that simple. But it is. We make it difficult. <laughs> we complicate it. We do all sorts of mental gymnastics to say it's not about loving other people. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about me giving of myself. It's got to be something else. No one has seen God at any time if we love one another. They will see him. God's love is perfected in us. 
God abides in us and his love is perfected in us in verse 12. Listen, here's what he's saying. Love will be perfected. Love will be completed in us. And here's the thing. He's not expecting us to be perfect at it at the beginning. What he's saying is love is going to be perfected in us. This is our opportunity to grow and to learn and to love. Take every opportunity you're given and do exactly what you feel like the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. And if you fail, guess what? There's grace. And you're going to learn and you're going to grow in love. And the next time you're going to do better, but then you're going to fail too. Remember, this isn't about doing it perfectly or not at all. It's an opportunity for us to grow in love. Verse 13 By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. God's love has to show up in our lives. I heard a pastor say one time, and I really agree with this, he said, it is inconceivable for us to think that the Holy Spirit of God would come into our lives and nothing would happen. It is inconceivable to think that the Holy Spirit of God would come into our lives and nothing happens. In the same way, it is inconceivable to think that God would fill us with his love and that we could hide it, that we could hoard it. He tells us that the way that we know we're his is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit spurs us to testify, to speak of what has happened in our life, to to show what has happened. And I just want to say something. This is the thing that, that we need to hear, that I needed to hear for a lot of years. One of the evidences the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is that you're struggling in your faith. Doesn't that seem a little weird? If the Holy Spirit's there, why are you struggling? You're struggling because there's still sin. You're struggling because you live in a lost culture. You're struggling because your flesh is fighting you tooth and nail not to be who Christ wants you to be. But here it is. If you're struggling to be the person that God wants you to know or to be good news, that means the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. Because here's the deal. When I was lost, I didn't think about or care about doing what God wanted me to do. I didn't come to the end of my day and go, whew, man, I I just wasn't as graceful as I should have been today and I shouldn't have said some of the things that I said and I shouldn't have had the attitude that I had. I got to the end of the day only thinking about myself. And one of the proofs that the Holy Spirit is inside of you is when you get to the end of the day and you go, wow, I really botched that. I wasn't as loving and kind and gentle as I should have been. I really didn't example Jesus there. I didn't share the gospel there. Lost people don't think about that. Lost people don't care about that. If you do, it's because the Holy Spirit's inside of you and he's perfecting his love in you. God's love has to show up in our lives. And John says the best way for that to happen is for us to love people enough to share the gospel with them to testify that Christ is Lord. How weird would it be if you never spoke about your spouse? I mean, you're married and you love them, 
But when you go out in public and people are talking about their wife or their husband, you don't say a word. And somebody says, I didn't know you were married. How long have you been married? 35 years. What? You've been married 35 years and you've not said a word about them? Well, I didn't want it to be weird. I didn't want to make you uncomfortable. How about your kids? Are you grand? That's even worse. How about grandkids? How weird would it be if you went all of your time and you never shared anything about your children or your grandchildren, no accomplishments, I'm not proud of them, nothing, and then somebody finds out that you have kids and grandkids. Listen, it's the same way when we don't talk about Jesus. And people find out later that we're Christians and they come back to us and they're like, how long have you been a Christian? 45 years. I got perfect attendance at the church too. I never knew. You've never said a word about him. It has to show up in our life. One of my favorite verses in this is verse 16. I would encourage you to underline it, highlight it, memorize it because it's been a powerful thing in my life. It's a challenge and a promise. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Have you come to know that? Do you believe it? Do you believe the love that God has for you? God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. See, this is the secret. We will never reach out to anybody else until we are convinced and consumed by the fact that God loves us. God is love and love comes from God. And here's what you need to hear today. God cannot love you any more than he already does and God will never love you any less than he already does. God's love is stable, it's steady, it's perfect. It doesn't change with our behavior. It doesn't change by our emotions. It doesn't change when we deserve it and when we don't. God will never love you any more than he already does because he fully loves you right now. And God will never love you any less than he already does because God fully loves you right now. And we will never be the people that God wants us to be. We'll never be released in love until we have come, become convinced and settled Ensure and believe and know the love that God has for us. God is love and love comes from God. Then I love this. There's no fear in love. Did you know that love cast out fear? It's hard for us to know that because we've not been loved that way in the world. But when we come to know and we are convinced by God's love, then there's no fear. Because when God's love settles in, he pushes all those things out. Love casts out fear. 
And so we don't live in fear of judgment. He says that. We're not worried about being punished. We're not worried about judgment. Why? Because there's none waiting for us. If we truly believed God's love for us and we truly understood what happened in Christ, that this is God's demonstration of his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the reality. There is no judgment waiting. None. Not a, not a pinch, not a, anything. None. What do we have to fear? Nothing. Judgment is gone. Separation is gone. Sin is gone. We don't live in fear of judgment. We don't live in fear of punishment. I don't know if you've experienced this, but for a lot of years in my life, I lived in fear that God was gonna get me. Oh, I good messed up this time. God's gonna get me. And then I was looking for things in my life to prove that God was out to get me. Every bad little thing or every little circumstance, well, this is God's punishment in my life. No, Christ took our punishment. There is no punishment for us. God is not out to get us. God got Jesus so he doesn't have to get us. We don't live in fear. Why? Verse 17, love is perfected with us so that because we may have confidence because as he is, so also are we in this world. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been transformed into a new people, given a new identity with a new life. And because of that, we've been sent out like Jesus. We've been sent out as missionaries, as messengers, as ambassadors of love. And now we can love because God has loved us. We love because he's first loved us. And we've been given a new commandment to love. Verse 21, this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I found myself and I listened to you and you say the same things. We wanna find ways to express our love and gratitude to God. You ever said that? Just been overwhelmed by what God's done in your life. You've just been overwhelmed by the blessings and the wonders that he's done and all the healing and the things that he's just his hand on your life. And you just, in that moment, say, God, I wanna show you. I wanna show you how much I love you and I wanna show you how grateful I am. God says, okay, here's the way you do it. Go love somebody else. Uh, uh, God, I wanna love you. I know. If you wanna love me, and you want to show me gratitude, go love somebody else. It is our greatest way to express our love to God by loving others. And John, like he always does, he comes back and bookends this with what he said in the beginning. Doesn't matter what you claim. Doesn't matter what you say. It's what you show. Verse 20. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And remember, this isn't loving perfectly. This is the difference between loving perfectly and not at all. 
We have to really stop in this moment and say, how do I love? Or do I love at all? Holy Spirit gives some powerful words. He says, if we say we love God and we don't love others, we are a liar. I've shared this story before and I debated sharing it today, but I think it's appropriate. There's a guy named Penn Jillette. Penn Jillette is part of a pretty awesome magic duo, Penn and Teller. Uh, Penn is an atheist, outspoken atheist. But he talks a lot about people who come to his shows that are Christian that talk to him about God and try to share God with him. And he was talking to a other group of atheists and they were mad and they said, Christians shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Should keep that stuff to themselves. Ridiculous. And this is what he said. No, no. He said, if what they believe is true, how much would you have to hate someone not to tell them that they were going to die and be separated from God? He said, how awful will we think somebody is that they see a bus coming down the road and somebody's standing in the road and they have no clue that the bus is coming and you don't scream, get out of the road. The bus is coming. How terrible of a person would you be? How much would you have to hate them to let them get run over by the bus and go, sorry, you should have asked. This is what God's talking about. We hear the word hate and we think feelings. And it's easy for us to justify, well, I only feel bad about this person because they treat me badly. That, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hater. Here's what he's saying. You truly hate people when you can't muster the love to go and tell them about Jesus. When you can't muster any concern or care that they might die and go to hell. And I just want to say this, because this is something that's been eating me. There are people in my life that I disagree with. There are people in my life that cause pretty raw emotional feelings. But I've come to the realization I wouldn't want any of them to die and go to hell. I don't care how much I disagree with them. I don't care how angry they make me feel, how much the word hatred, I would say, comes out. I would never want them to die and go to hell. And so I've got to be motivated past those feelings by love to tell them what's true. We're all looking for the perfect gift this Christmas. We're looking to find the perfect gift that we can give to others. We're all looking for the perfect gift that hopefully somebody else will give to us. And here's what I want to tell you. God has already given you the perfect gift. His love. And so here's the question. Have you unwrapped that gift yet? One of the things that I've hated about Christmas all my life is, oh, don't touch. Can't open till Christmas. Don't like that. That's not how God's gift works. God presents his gift and he says, you can have it right now. You can open it right now. You can have all the benefits right now. Have you ever opened the gift? Have you ever experienced Jesus dying in your place and setting you free and making you new? If you haven't, you can. In just a second, we're gonna pray 
And we have this time called the invitation where you can come up front and we can talk about your relationship to Jesus and you can ask the Lord to save you and he will. But as Christians, have you unwrapped his gift? Have you unwrapped his gift of forgiveness and grace and giving you the love for other people? The gift of freedom and forgiveness. If there's things going on in your life, you can turn those things loose and be set free today. But remember, when he gives us this gift, he's asking for us to take the gift, to be blessed by it, and bless others. So here's a question I want to leave you with today. Have you experienced his gift, and are you withholding it from others? Are there people in your life that you haven't forgiven? Are there people in your life that you're holding grudges against? Are there people in your life that you're just like, you know what? I'm done with them. Are there people in your life that you've never told how much God loves them? Unwrapped his gift, unwrap his gift. Unwrap his gift and then take that and go share that gift with somebody else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I pray that we would be overwhelmed by it like John was. That we would see your love and say, whoa, how great a love. And then we would respond to that. And then we would say, if you loved us like this, how can we not go and love others? May we be a people marked by love. Help us to say yes today, Father. As you are speaking to us and calling us, help us to say yes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.